Hello, and welcome to Message in the Middle with Marianne. We all know that life is hard, right? It's messy, it's unpredictable, but it can be wonderful all at the same time. My hope is that we can take a deep dive into self-development topics and explore life's lessons through book clubs, conversations, and interviews. And together, we can uncover the lessons that others have already learned to help us navigate this crazy, wonderful ride called life. Hello and welcome to Message in the Middle with Marianne. As many of you know, I was asked to do a series of episodes around grief and death and related topics. So in that vein, today I'm bringing you a conversation with Katie Joy Duke. Katie is an author, a mindset coach, transformational speaker, and mother of two daughters, one living and one in spirit. Katie practiced social justice law for nine years before having a full-term stillborn birth of her first daughter, Poppy. Motivated to heal from her devastating loss, she left her legal career in 2016 and spent six years writing her best-selling memoir, Still Breathing, My Journey with Love, Loss, and Reinvention, which was published in May of 2022. I wish I could end Katie's bio on a high note, but only days after submitting her final manuscript to her copy editor, Katie got her first mammogram. And at the tender age of 41, Katie was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer. She completed five months of chemotherapy in August and has a long road of treatment ahead of her, but she's here with us today and she has a lot to share. So first, let me say thank you. I'm so sorry you went through all of that and are still going through that, but I'm really glad you're here with us and can teach us some things. Katie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Marianne. I'm so excited for this conversation. And yes, I have officially declared myself a survivor. I am getting through this and I have so much to say on behalf of all of us out there who are dealing with cancer. I've just, it's really changed my life in the same way that pregnancy loss did. Uh, I keep learning and growing and sharing with everyone that I can. And that's the best part, right? You're sharing and, and those lessons I strongly believe will help other people who are going through similar things. So let's break it down. We'll kind of break this into two segments, but let's kind of take a step back. You're living a life that probably on the books would look wonderful, right? You're a successful lawyer, you're a newlywed, you are enjoying the idea of this pregnancy and where that's going. And then boom the tablecloth or the rug gets pulled out from under you. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is, take us back there for a minute and kind of set the stage because that really is the start, right? Of this chapter of your life. And how did that unwind? Sure. So my husband and I had been married for about six months when I went into labor. You know, I'm as sure some of your uh, audience will end up reading my book. And so uh, it's not a spoiler alert to tell you that we were engaged one day and found out that we were pregnant the next. So a, a beautiful unfolding of events and uh, certainly romantic. Um, and my husband was very proud of himself for popping the question just in time. <laughs> <laughs> we had a beautiful pregnancy and I went into labor on Poppy's due date, which was October 25th of 2015. And we were given the green light to go into the hospital um, 
the following morning at the crack of dawn. You know, at that point, we were just incredibly ready and excited and anticipating childbirth and everything that comes with that and then taking our baby home. And it was within a few minutes really of getting settled uh, in the hospital um, suite with our nurse and midwife to find out that Poppy no longer had a heartbeat. I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been almost seven years and I've done so much healing work that I can, I can typically speak about, you know, sort of the factual you know, the unfolding in a way that for many years I couldn't, you know, there were a lot of tears involved. And just on that note, it's interesting. I find what will elicit emotion or I will find a new place of tenderness in my heart will sometimes be in recalling a conversation I had with someone or, you know, a moment at the grocery store when I saw a mother pushing her child or, you know, it's interesting how like the the main event of Poppy dying doesn't so much bring out the sadness in me anymore, but it's those tender moments of longing and nostalgia and perhaps what could have been or now um, meeting a young child who's turning seven in a month and going, oh, wow, you know, my daughter Mm. would be, you know, like you, this little human that's turning seven would, you know, represents where my daughter would be in her journey as a living human. But anyway, to take you back sort of to that hospital experience, I ended up giving birth to to Poppy later that day. I ended up having all sorts of help um, interventions medically that I had not anticipated, but I, I really was having a hard time. I mean, I was just, my body was the trauma, you know, the, the, the onset of shaking and uh, spiraling thoughts and sort of just uncontrollable sadness at that point, but um, did end up giving birth to to Poppy. Um, it felt very sacred, very honorable. We got to hold Poppy and Eli got to cut her umbilical cord and we took her footprints and we weighed her and measured her and held her and took pictures with her. And um, it was very devastating. And And it's interesting even now that I've published my memoir about it and you know, I have that story written. That's um, chapter six and chapter seven and chapter eight when we're there in the hospital and all of this is unfolding. I can now look back and read those chapters and objectively, I'll I'll just be like, oh my gosh, this woman, like, oh, you know, like oh, what she went through. And then it's like, wait a second, Katie, that's that's you. That's your baby that you left in that hospital room. Those are your decisions. That's 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 the shower that you took after she died and you never wanted to get out of the shower and you had no idea how you would ever move on from such a travesty. Um, but I have. Yeah. And I'm here to share that story, you know, and, and be- because there are so many women who go through losses like mine, whether it's a late-term stillbirth, or even miscarriages. You know, there's so many different ways. And I, I've i learned that really your experience of grief has less to do with the length of a pregnancy and more the amount of expectation that you had. How did you reframe your thoughts around those expectations and what you had and knowing that that wasn't going to be your reality in the future? How did you shift that? Well, it didn't happen immediately for sure. I mean, I was a complete wreck for quite some time. And also, I mean, you know, there was 
there was so much happening in ways that I was almost immediately receiving signs from both my intuition and from external powers and Poppy's spirit, divinity, source, God. You know, I there were so many things, ma- magical sort of things that were happening that I started tuning into very quickly. Even the night that I got home from the hospital, I had a very powerful dream that I write about in my in my book that ended up really guiding me to this idea that something would come out of this, that I would rise from this travesty. So I balanced sort of the belief that something would come out of this with just the pure devastation of having given birth to a dead baby, having both, you know, my body having created this life and nurtured this this soul within me for that those nine months and then to have her depart and for you know for my womb to have become a tomb to hold both life and death so you know now that i very confidently identify myself as a writer a lot of writers struggle with am i really a writer <laughs> what makes me a writer you know i haven't published anything yet that i'm not a writer right but i am definitely a writer i'm both an author but i'm but i'm also just a writer like i process through word and I allowed myself to immediately begin writing down my thoughts, my feelings, my dreams, my hopes, my devastation, my love, all of it. And from that, the story started to really unfold. And that was how I really began to move through. But it was really messy. It was really ugly. <laughs> It was life it, is messy. <laughs> yes. And, 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 you know, and the, and the book is a beautiful presentation of everything I went through and, you know, with all of the periods and the I's and the dots and the T's, it's all in the right place, but the process was extremely messy. Yeah. I think I even mentioned that in the intro of my book, like grief is messy. It just is. Yeah. How, how can it not be right? It's this big ball of emotions that are all kind of jumbled together and you can kind of get any emotion at any time. Of course, it's messy. It's hard to unwind all that. You know, I was going to read this a little bit later on, but what you were talking about really made me want to read it right now. And it's a passage from the book. How is it possible that a heart can love so deeply a life that is no longer here, a life that never fully got to be here? I sit alone with my thoughts, and then it comes to me. Another answer to prayer. Maybe she was fully here for her purpose. Maybe she completed her soul's mission. That passage touched my soul, I have to tell you, in so many ways. To find a perspective that would somehow make it be almost okay that perhaps Poppy came and Poppy delivered on her purpose. To be able to get to that perspective while going through so much pain, Mm -hmm. it baffles my mind. Similarly, you've managed to flip the script, take another perspective, whatever you want to call it, around some of these phrases. And I'm going to ask you to talk on each one of them. But it's a similar thing. Like you're looking at the positive side of what could be a very negative. So you say you choose love over fear. Mm. And so how do you bring yourself and how did you get so wise to know that you needed to choose love over fear? 
experience. I think, you know, being present to my life and the outcome of, you know, fear and anxiety and living in a, a state where my thoughts overtake reality. That's, you know, that's like living in a cage. And the world is, you know, life is 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 just so beautiful. I mean, <laughs> I went live on Instagram yesterday afternoon from my backyard and I was philosophizing, which I, I like to do that live because it just makes me be, you know, I'm just like, I don't know if anybody's going to watch this, but I'm being real. Like, here, it's not scripted, I promise. But um, I was sort of philosophizing about just the mystical nature of all of this. The fact that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. I I know we're chatting about my experience with pregnancy loss and Poppy, but specifically now this idea of choosing love over fear has immediately translated into my experience with cancer treatment and my own mortality. And I have had to come to terms with not only my daughter dying and the reality, the possibility that in fact it was her soul's purpose and mission to be held perfectly by me and to be loved perfectly by me and my husband, and then to move on to something else. Maybe it was her nirvana. Maybe it was her soul's final incarnation. Maybe she needed to go off and do something else. Maybe that was her soul's contract. And she knew, and she knew that it was going to be hard for me. But in the same way that like, I'm not responsible for some other soul's outcome, she wasn't really responsible for mine either. So I had a choice and I could choose to live wrapped up in the sadness and the fear and the anxiety of what could have been the past, or I could choose to live into the future and to be present. And I believe that that's, that's what Poppy would want. And I think that's what God wants for us. I think that's what divinity and spirit wants for us is to find love, even when we are afraid. And actually, just recently, I learned that there are two Hebrew words in the Old Testament. And I'm not a religious person, but this is from the person, this is from the book Playing Big by Tara Moore. And it's, she's, she's great, but this is a wonderful book, but I won't go too much into it. But there are two different words for fear in the Hebrew Bible. One is, and I might not pronounce these correctly, Pahad, P-A-C-H-A-D. And the other is Hira, Y-I-R-A-H. And the first fear, Pahad, is the overreactive, irrational fear that stems from worries about what could happen, about the worst case scenario we imagine. And the other, Hira, has three different meanings. It is the feeling that overcomes us when we inhabit a, a larger space than we are used to. It is the feeling we experience when we suddenly come into possession of considerably more energy than we had before, and it is what we feel in the presence of the divine. And so reading that just made me go, oh, okay, so yeah, so now I notice like when I'm like, yeah, I want to, I'm becoming a transformational speaker and I'm, it's so scary. And I think, oh, what is that? What is that fear? 
right? Mm. Oh, it's the fear of like, oh, I'm so excited about it. See, I've got all this energy. I'm like, Ooh, I'm, I'm like full. I'm like got chill bumps all over me. Like I'm, I'm declaring I'm going to do something. Right. And it's that fear of like in the divine, like, I believe this is a gift that I've been given that I can use to help motivate, inspire and transform other lives. Right. So that's a, it's like this interesting, different kind of fear. So anyway, that's a side note. And you might end up editing that out. I won't edit it out because I think it adds insight and it adds value in that. I think naming something, being able to name it and then start, you know, we often talk about lots of things that we're going through and lots of things when you're trying to change habits or get rid of limiting beliefs or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. The first thing is noticing it, yes, understanding it, taking a pause, right? And then you can figure out how to move through it or with yes. it, right? And so it makes me think of that because once you, you've given it a name, yeah. so you can say, oh, that's that. I can't even recall the yeah. words. Pahad, yeah. Pahad, I think it's, a, and then Hira, Y-I-R-A-H, yeah. But yeah, right? So you're giving I mean, it a name yeah. so you can kind of call it in and just that then lets you say, I'm not giving that my t- any time of day because I know what this is. Exactly. And, or, and, and then the alternative, which is like, oh yeah, this is the fear that is me playing bigger. That is me opening myself up. That is me. It's that vulnerability. That's like, like, uh, what if I fail? Like, what if I do it imperfectly? Right. You're like, but I gotta go. I gotta do it. I'm just, I'm just going to try. Right. Like I'm, and, and that is so inspiring to me now, especially with Going, going going back to this idea of my own mortality, facing my own mortality. And one of the things that I can say about this cancer journey and and my experience with it is that I have I have absolutely lost the fear of death. I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to die anytime soon. I love being here. I've got a little girl who will almost be five years old and I want to see her grow up and spend every, oh, I just love her so much. You know, I I want to see her grow and I want to continue to nurture her and see what she does in this world. And I have so much more I want to do in this world. And I think that I have, I, I know I have a beautiful story that's that's worth sharing and that people are listening. But I also have realized that, and I know you've read the book, but Poppy passed on to something else. And my dad, who I write about in my book as well, who passed away, he passed on to something else. And and when when my father died and I was telling my husband, I called him to say, Daddy, daddy died, like it happened. And my husband had this <gasps> overwhelming like moment where he said, Katie, I, I can see them together. And I was just like, what? Who are you, what are you talking about? Like, who? Who can you see together? And he just said, Poppy, Poppy was there waiting for your daddy. He was she was there to meet him. And 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 I and I Eli and I are are not religious people. And and so it was just I was like, uh, like I was so, but I I went with it because I was just like, okay, like I like that idea. I, I really like the idea that they're t- together. And of course, it's not an uncommon idea, but I just, it's very comforting. And then when I had to face my own mortality this, this past year, as I've been facing my own, the reality that cancer can just take your life so quickly, I've had to realize, and I have that, oh my gosh, wait a second. If, if Poppy went on to something more amazing and magical, and my daddy went on to something amazing and more magical, and they got to be together, that means that when I die, I get to go on to something more amazing and magical. And it's possible that I get in that soul amazing way, get to be reunited with them. 
And then I was like, okay, okay, okay. So with this time that I have left, it's like, use me, use me. Let's work some magic. Let's, let's share joy. Let's be honest. Let's be vulnerable. Let's talk about all the things that hurt and all the things that are so meaningful. You made me think of, so we're reading um, A Year to Live by Stephen Levine. Levine, I always say it wrong. And it talks in there about, it's all about living, you know, a year as if it was your last year. Mm. And, you know, making peace with your past and giving gratitude for all the things you had. And, but there's a chapter in there, of course, about death and about how most people are hung up in the fear of dying, not the, not death itself, but it's Mm -hmm. that fear of, right? And so when you were talking about that, I was just thinking, you're in such a, it's going to sound odd to say that you're in such a great place, but your headspace is so good in that you're at a place where you have peace with it. And it ties into the next phrase I wanted to ask you about, which is choose acceptance over resistance, Mm. which is, this is it, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you've made comfort around all these things and you're accepting that what will be will be. Yes. Poppy, and I just I have a I have a real, a real relationship with her in spirit, and it's something that I've been nurturing now for almost seven years um, since she died, and and of course before then too when she was living within me. But she has taught me how to accept what is, and again that didn't come overnight. It wasn't it wasn't easy. It was very messy and complicated, but. I have found sometimes I, I journal a lot and I have found journal entries. One, recently, I opened up a journal entry and I saw something where I had written down um, resistance is the calcification. And I, and I was like, what? Like, I, w- I just thought like, what, it, what did, you know, like, what did that mean when I wrote that down? Like, did I say that? Was that something that someone said that I thought was cool? Like, I don't even remember. But then I look at it in the journal and I'm like, resistance is the calcification, you know, resistance is the constriction, right? Like if we think about like our heart opening up to something, like let's think about like, you know, if and I've practiced yoga for over 20 years now. And so if you think about like, you're doing a heart opening exercise, right? You're like, you're opening your heart to receive, you're, you're opening up to allow the love to come in. And, and, you know, your heart chakras, your it's, it's, that's what that is. It's all about receiving. It's about love. And so when we think about how many of us actually operate in the world, it's very constricted. Like even even physically, our shoulders are hunched forward. We're protecting ourselves. We're protecting our heart because we've all been wounded so many times that a lot of us end up calcifying, right? We get hardened. And that is, I think, part of the resistance of resisting what is, resisting what was, and eventually shutting down. And so for me, part of that acceptance, and again, also, oddly enough, very tied now to my own experience with cancer, is that I, my cancer has metastasized, and it metastasized from my breast into my lymph nodes, and then it made it out of my lymph nodes and into my sternum. So the cancer is in the bone over my heart. And spiritually for me, that was a message. I just, I received it as a message. I received it as a messenger 
and as a lesson, as an assignment. And I was just like, whoa, like as much healing as I have done, I think that the cancer was there for a reason that it metastasized in that bone because that is the bone that has been protecting my heart. And for me, it was just like this next level of spiritual healing that I have done now in the last six months where I have just really loosened the roots and the vines and the grip around my heart and all the things that have happened to me. And I'm really shifting my thinking around life happening for me. So how are these things happening for me? And again, these are not my original thoughts, right? Like the, you know, but, but I really am using them and I'm really applying them in a way that I think I'm a living example of someone who has really hard things happen to them and then uses those things, finds the meaning, makes the meaning. I am a big proponent and I recently gave a talk about this is that in this idea of making meaning out of the things that happen to us and finding how they can happen for us and then allowing them to move through us. Um, because I don't think that, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I think that that's way too generic and sort of trite to say, but I do think that we get to decide why things happen. I think it's much more of an empowering, right? Because if you're like, oh, everything happens for a reason. You're like, I don't know what that reason is, but you know, you're just like, well, okay, <laughs> that doesn't sound like, you know, but to say like, ah, this really challenging thing happened to me and here's what I've done with it. Mm. Here's the, here are the lives of the people I've touched because I shared it. Here's how I helped someone else avoid it here. You know, all of those the meaning that we can make of the things that happen to us. So all of that is to say that I am even now more than when I authentically wrote that in my book, I have even unwound more of those, that calcification, you know, and it's uh, now that I'm saying it actually cancer and is actually like in the milk ducts of my breast. It's, it is a calcification. So it's just, it's interesting because I I'm so philosophical in my, in my little brain, you know, I just like the way that I, think through things and find the connections and the synchronicities. But the more that we can just allow and accept instead of pushing against what is, the more freedom and flow and joy we're going to be able to allow in our life while we're also grieving. Yeah. At the same time. Right. So that's important, right? That's been a consistent theme throughout all these segments is that grief doesn't end. Mm -mm. Life just gets bigger around yes. it. You create a different version of life and the grief is always going to still be there. And and that's it. And, right? And what else? And the rest yes. of your life continues. And you'll do new things. And you'll have new loves. And you'll ha probably have more griefs. But it does stay there. You just have to rebuild around it. That's a consistent message. 100%. It's, I think, and I know you and I talked about this when we were first connecting about a month ago, but I talked about grief as a frequency and the idea that before Poppy died, I had had losses. And of course, people around me had had their own losses, but I had never experienced that type of grief before. But once I tuned into it, like a, like a radio frequency, you know, once I like that dial got turned to like, oh, grief, <laughs> you're on the grief channel. <laughs> you know, I became so much more aware of it in the same way that like there are waves all around us. Like, you know, 
Do we really question where our Wi-Fi comes from? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's there. Like it's, you know, it's just like this signal, right? So like the grief is a signal. And I, I think if we, if we give ourselves permission to tap into it, it actually makes life make a whole lot more sense. Cause you talked about at the beginning of our conversation, this idea of naming a thing, like sometimes I will just be so out of it. I will be irritable. I will be grumpy. I will be sharp and curt. I mean, all the things at the people I love the most. And then at some point I'm, you know, in that day, I'll just be like, what is going on with me? Like, what is, and then I'm like, oh, it's grief. It's grief. Oh, yeah. I'm actually just really sad about the thing. Yeah. It's just grief. And then once I name it, when it's on like, oh, yeah, it's grief. I'm actually having a, it's a really griefy day. Like, I, and then, then I can go to my husband and say, I'm so sorry. I was so irritable and short with you. I, I realize I'm carrying around on this sadness about X, Y, and Z or, you know, and then, then it's like, and then he's like, well, thanks for acknowledging that. Like you were really short at me earlier, but I totally get it. Yeah. You can give yourself some grace. Then, so much. Right. And by the way, I love the, it's a really griefy day. I might, <laughs> I might have to steal that. Do it. But I think it's an important message because it does come in waves, right? And it can hit you out of the blue. And sure can. right, I'm sure. I mean, you know better than I. But to be able to name it, recognize it, and then cut yourself some slack. Yes. Right. You're entitled to have a crappy so day. much grace. <laughs> that that is one thing I have learned how to give myself, and and I think too to be able to model that, to be able to model what it looks like to give oneself grace. Yeah. It's really easy to say to somebody else, "Oh, give yourself some grace," and you're like, "Well, can I pick it up at Target? Like, where do you go <laughs> get grace? Like, are you kidding me? Like, is it at the drive-through?" Like, can I get that with my venti Starbucks? Like, I don't know. Where do you get this grace, right? It's such an inside thing, like the cultivation of grace. And I've I've done a lot of self-compassion work. Um, there are some really incredible teachers out there. Tara Brock is one of them. Kristen Neff is another amazing uh, compassion, self-compassion teacher. But I've done a lot of work on how to offer myself grace when I am suffering. How, because it, because, you know, I think, so many of us are like, you know, we're able, we see a friend that is suffering and we can pick up the phone or we can reach out and lend a hand or we can say, it's okay. It's okay for you to feel all these feelings. But then when it happens to us, a lot of us are like getting out the whip and lashing our own back or we're yeah. saying, God, get over it. Or like, what's wrong with you? Or like, wow, you know, like we get all like angsty with ourselves when we also deserve that same amount of compassion. And it is a practice. It is something to be able to acknowledge, like, this is a moment of suffering. Ah, yes, I am suffering. I'm noticing the suffering. Where do I feel it in my body? Is it in my heart? Is it in my forehead? Is it in the back of my neck? Is it in my low back? Is it, you know, where is it? And how, and how can I just acknowledge that it's there? And then allow, do whatever it is, the breathing, the movement, a warm cup of tea, something that's comforting and nurturing for you to to move through. I like that you said it's a practice because you've sort of alluded to that on several of these topics. The, you know, choosing acceptance, that's a practice. Choosing to look forward 
that's a practice instead of getting hung up in the shoulda, coulda, woulda, which we all know how those merry-go-rounds go, right? Mm -hmm. Identifying the lesson that you can take from something and figuring out how to Mm. apply it and use it to give in a giving way. I mean, those are all practices that to your point, none of it came easy. So this was a messy go round and you've landed in this really special place, Mm -hmm. but, and, and putting all these things to practice, I think it's important for other people to hear because you do have to give yourself grace. It's not going to come easy Mm -mm. and you're probably going to get it wrong a lot of times until you start getting it right more. Well, and the thing is, is that, and I, you know, and even just the right wrong context is like, I don't even really think that you can get it wrong if you're, if you're trying. I mean, I'm a recovering. You get better. Yeah. I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I, I try so much to notice, um, if I'm actually holding my back myself back from something because I don't think it's good enough, you know, because I've I've carried that story around for a long time. And and it's, you know, it's just like at some point, Katie, it's like, what you gotta, what are you gonna, you gotta give it up, girl? <laughs> you know, like it's, you know, and people are like, oh, there's no such thing as perfect. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know that. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I don't I don't know what that means. You know, <laughs> I get it. But um yeah, I mean, it's you know, the practice is the remembering, right? Like this is what I actually wanted to say about it. I, you know, for a long time in my life, I had this idea that these big things like grief and loss and trauma could just be like a checklist and I could be like, "Okay, done." Like, check. Okay, I've had enough trauma. Done. Like, I've had enough loss. Done. <laughs> had, had enough grief. Done. Except that you don't get to cross that stuff off the list, right? It's got like, that's that's the nature of this world. This is the nature of being human. This is the nature of, you know, the Buddha said all life is suffering, right? Like it's like, but are we going to add to it, right? Like how much are we going to pile on top of the suffering that's unavoidable? And that's the where we really have the choice. And that's where we can really say, ah, that thing that someone said to me really hurt, but am I going to ruminate about it for 10 days? That's my choice. Yeah. That's where I have the power to say, nope, I'm not going to ruminate about that like that, or I'm not going to take it personally, or that wasn't about me. Like that's their story. That's not me or vice versa. If I hurt someone else, I'm going to apologize or am I going to hold a grudge or be resentful or whatever? Like we have so many choices and I am absolutely doing life wonderfully and perfectly over here. And, And I even sometimes think that like in some ways I'm, I can even be harder on myself because I have all these tools and I have all this training. I became a life coach in 2018. I started a coaching practice four years ago. So there are these, these times when I'm like, Oh, I should know better. Right. But then you're like, but you're human. Right. <laughs> like you're human. Right. And the voices never stop, right? Correct. You learn, you can understand them more and learn to control them more, put the muzzle on them when you need to, but they don't stop. Yes. You know, Dr. Amy Johnson, which we talk about a lot, she teaches you that, right? The thoughts are going to always occur. So you have to learn to just let them pass on by. She uses an image of either the weather or the clouds. Yes, They just come in and they go out. Let them go out, but don't get stuck on them. That's where we get into trouble when we start ruminating on them, to your point. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So with this cancer diagnosis, this journey you're going through here, I know you wanted to touch on some of the lessons specifically learned out of that because Mm. you've been doing a lot of work to expand in so many ways, but your, um, I guess your knowledge around marrying the Eastern and Western medicine has really mm-hmm. grown with the cancer diagnosis and learning to trust yourself more. Mm-hmm. Even beyond what you went through with Poppy, yes, you're finding, again, a different level here. So share a little bit about your thoughts on that. Yeah. I am definitely learning to befriend my intuition in ways that I think in our culture, especially as women, it is trained out of us. And I am bucking that trend. (laughs) And I am really getting in touch with that part of me that goes, hmm, something about this doesn't feel right. Or, gosh, I don't really like the way this person is responding to me. Like, I mean, I'm learning how to set boundaries in ways that I never had before. And it's interesting because in some regards, it's literally because I've been so fatigued or exhausted or beat up from the chemotherapy drugs that I I was completely unable to tolerate whatever it was that life was throwing at me. And so the boundary was like, I didn't check my email for 10 days, which felt scary because it's like, well, what's going to happen? What if I miss a thing? What if, da, 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 da? like, what if an opportunity passes me by? Right. And also then allowing that, choosing to say, you know what? I will get to what I need to get to in, in due time. And so, so the, the part of about my intuition has also been the ability to, to heal myself. Like, really like you said the the marrying of western medicine which is you know extremely scientific and well researched and the best available medicine i actually had a beautiful conversation with my oncologist last wednesday and she said to me you know katie i hope and pray that in 20 years i'm sitting around a campfire with my grandchildren and one of my grandchildren looks at me and goes you did what to people grandma <sighs> Wow. You did what to them? And she says, yes, son, grandson, whatever, you know, yes, I did. But that was the best that we had available at the time. That was all that we had available at the time. And she's like, I, you know, and and I was like, oh, I loved it. It just meant, it meant so much to me (laughs) for my oncologist to be like, I don't enjoy poisoning (laughs) you, but it is the best I have available. (laughs) You know, it's not fun for me to see my client, you know, my patients coming in here like completely hairless and beat up and, you know, their spirits are just beat down and exhausted and that sort of thing. And so that really helped me kind of frame that the, the medicine that I have endured the last five plus months and everything else that is, has, has to happen to me going forward is because that's the best available treatment that we, we currently have. And I am doing so much on my own. I have read over and over and over again how the power of a positive mindset, and I want to be kind of just as a disclaimer, like there is actually, you know, there's like toxic positivity, right? 
like it it exists out there where you can say a million affirmations and none of it come true because it's like slapping a Band-Aid on top of like a, a festering wound. Like it's, you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done in order for like an affirmation to work, for instance. It just doesn't, it isn't like flipping a switch. They're very powerful. But I, so I I say all that just because I I don't want it to sound um, that like, oh, like, oh, it's okay. It's just cancer. Like, no biggie. Like, oh, whatever. Like, I got this. You know, like, it's it's not that at all. Like, it's it's such a deeply spiritual experience. It's um, for me to recognize that I have the ability within myself to um, to envision a cancer-free life, to envision feeling free and fluid in my body, to envision my cells healing themselves, to envision my immune system doing the incredibly magical work that it does, um, to, to not feel as though I am at war with my body or that this cancer is in some ways, like intentionally trying to destroy me. That reminds me of another conversation I had with my oncologist where I was really picking her brain. And I encourage anyone out there with cancer, pick pick your oncologist's brain. If you if your intuition wants you to, pick it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what she said to me at one point, she was like, you know, Katie, she's like, cancer isn't sentient. And I and I looked at her and I was like, oh. Yeah, you're right. She's like, it doesn't have feelings. It's not trying to destroy you. It's just a mutated cell that can't stop mutating. It is out of control. Like the cell itself cannot stop. It is malfunctioning, you know? And I thought, oh, okay. And it just, it just, again, it's about this perspective. It's about this mindset shift, this thinking of like, okay, well, I don't have to hold, I don't have to be so angry. I mean, there is a lot of anger. There's been plenty of angry. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's been, a, I've had a lot of anger about this, but also I, I actually express the anger. I've expressed my anger. Like I'm, I actually go ahead and scream. I even had a neighbor, a neighbor come over one day to make sure everything was okay. <laughs> and, and then, and then, and then she was like, she was so funny. She was like, you know, Katie, when I'm that angry, I usually scream into a pillow. And I looked at her and I was like, Kathy, I needed someone to hear me. It was very intentional that I did not scream into a pillow. Like I needed someone to know that I was that angry. <laughs> so anyway, it worked because. She came over and held me while I cr- cried on the kitchen floor. But yeah, so I don't want to blabber on forever. Let it's, me say, let me, yeah, yeah I want to interject ahead. something. So you said something about, you said a lot of things, but the, when you were thinking about yourself and your body and all that, it, it made me think of so manifestation, yeah. right? Meditation, yes. posi- positive thinking, all those things. I mean, we, we do know there's been so much research. There's been, I mean, you can pick up books everywhere. These things matter. They do. And when you look at the, I just started kind of stumbled on, I just started understanding more from a, um, like in India, like they strongly, meditation is like their primary healthcare. I mean, uh, their method of staying um, healthy. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing to me how they 
believe and they have seen healing through just meditation. And I say just meditation, Mm. but that's where it goes back to like trying to bring those things into our lives all the time, Mm. not just in these critical moments, right? Because we can do so much to affect our life and and the, the condition of it. I also want, you made me think of a phrase that anyone that knows me from my last 25 years of my career will laugh when I say this out loud, but I have this phrase that I coined that people know me for, and it's pick the least bad decision. Mm. So oftentimes in business and work, projects go awry, whatever, you're trying to execute on something and everything doesn't all line up, right? And there's no good decisions left. Always just pick the least bad decision. (laughs) You have to make a decision and you have to move forward. So pick the least bad decision. And that's what I heard in your message. There is no great decision when you get cancer and it's that far Correct. progressed. So what's the least bad decision? Yes. How do I get out of it? Right? Yes. And I, and I, I, I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to use that going forward. I think I also recently, someone said something to me about the idea of like, most of us claim to be like conf- wrapped up in confusion or whatever. And she just said, most of us aren't confused. We just, for- we just refuse to make a choice. <laughs> yeah. We just refuse to choose. Yeah. So she's like, make a choice and then move forward with that choice. Like just move forward. Cause we get, people get so stuck. Yeah. Right. And then they spiral and they think, oh, uh," right. You know, it's like, well, you're just, you're not, you're refusing to make a decision. And that indecision is causing the confusion. It's not that you're confused. It's, it's, it's vice versa. Right. It's like, so, and I, I I have been meditating for years and years and my meditation practice was was vital during my healing after Poppy died and to connect with her in spirit. That was how I really called her in was through my meditation practice and getting still. I've been working on something that I'm calling the six pillars of healing and I want to incorporate into um, public speaking and and probably into my next book. But, you know, one of those is really getting comfortable with stillness and silence. And there's so many ways, you know, slowing down, rest. I think most of us are chronically unrested. You know, it's just yeah. this, this, the go, 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 go. And obviously the pandemic did a lot to help a lot of people realize how much they were going and just how much they needed to slow down. But on the note of, on the side of meditation and slowing down and, and getting into that stillness, because that's, I get most of my downloads from source, you know, from God when I'm meditating and it, and, and many people have probably have the same experience with prayer, but I have had incredible experiences since being diagnosed with cancer, doing quantum meditations, um, and truly connecting with that sense of my own ability to heal my body. And the reality is, is like, there are probably, there are people who've had these radical remissions and they've, you know, kind of been like sort of totally outside of the box in terms of treatment. I'm choosing to do all of it, but I also believe that the reason that I'm responding so well, like I had a normal MRI on September 6th. I don't know if I had a chance to tell you that, but I finished chemo on August 30th. And then a week later I had an MRI, a breast MRI and there was no evidence of cancer in my breast. No, my lymph nodes appeared normal and the previously enhancing mass on my sternum could no longer be detected. 
Congratulations, Spy. Take a moment. Take a moment. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I celebrated so hard. And and here's the beautiful thing, Marion. When I went in to get that MRI, I told the techs, I was like, there's there's no evidence. You're not gonna be able to find it. It's gone. It's gone. I knew it was gone. I, I knew in my heart and soul and my mind that it was gone. I had had a dream. I actually had this amazing talk about befriending your intuition, but I had this incredibly powerful dream earlier this summer. Um I was, I had been really sick from the chemo. I was just, ugh, it was gross, but I was really asking my dreams to send me a message and give me signs. And I had the dream one night that I spit my cancer out into my bowl of oatmeal. And in my dream, I get my spoon and I fish <laughs> the cancer out and it looks, it looks hard and metallic. And I like toss it out and I'm like, ah, I don't want, I don't need you anymore. Cause I didn't want to eat it. You know? And so I, I wake up from this dream and I had, I woke up from the dream and I was like, oh my God, the cancer is gone. I just had this, like, I like looked around the room and I was just like, uh, I'm pretty sure the cancer is gone. Like, I was just like, I just had like this crazy knowing. And then Within the week, I got a care package from a girlfriend and in it, it was sweet. It had like an adult coloring book and some pencils and some face masks and whatever. And then there was this little muslin bag and I looked inside of it. I was like, what's this? And it was, it was a chunk of hematite and hematite. Yeah. My eyes. For the listeners. (laughs) Yeah. Marianne's eyeballs just got really big. It was a chunk of hematite and it, and I looked at it and I held it in my hand and I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what my cancer looked like when I spit it out into my bowl of oatmeal. And so I texted my friend who sent it to me because I had put this dream on Facebook. I share everything. I'm an open book. And I, so I said to Bryce, Bryce, did you see the dream that I had? And she was like, I did see that about that dream. I was like, did you buy me this rock before or after I had had the dream? And she said, I bought the rock for you before you had the dream. And then I read about it and I'm like sitting on this rock and she's going, she's like, do I, should I send this rock to Katie? I was like, so she sent me this rock. So then now I have an external representation. I'm holding in my hand something that my intuition told me that then manifested in a dream that then I woke up feeling like the cancer was gone. So now I'm holding this rock in my hand and I have been carrying this rock with me everywhere. I keep it in my purse, but I hold it. I've done meditations with it uh, on my heart. I didn't know anything about hematite before that, but I looked up hematite. It's grounding, but it also has this magnetic quality. And so it's very, it's, you know, as many rocks and crystals, right? It's spiritual. So I've meditated with the heart sitting on, with the rock sitting on my sternum. And I imagine any rogue cancer cells being just pulled right out of me and into this rock. I hold it in my hand, my left hand, and I imagine any rogue cancer cells traveling from my lymph nodes down through my arm and into the rock. Like I have given this rock so much power to help me heal. And is it complete woo-woo? I don't know. You know, like you could say it is, but it means so much to me. It gets me out of bed in the morning. It gets me feeling like I'm a part of this process. And I think that the more that we can empower people who are, especially cancer, because like, you know, it's the drugs really, I mean, a lot of people feel bad and then they find out they have cancer. But in my case, I just felt a lump and I was like, oh, I don't know. So I need to get that checked out. And then it's like, whoa. And then the drugs make you so sick, right? So you like become the sick person that is a shell of what you feel like you used to be before and you're bald and you got no eyelashes and no hair and you still look beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) And 
you know, anyway, so I, that, you know, that is a perfect example to me of my own ability to heal myself and then to use the power of community. I have asked for so much prayer. I, I, I am not kidding you. And I believe that there are thousands of people all over the world praying for me. I've been added to so many prayer lists. I've been at, you know, people have been sending so much positive energy my way. And I think, and that's another one of my pillars is ask for help. Yeah. Learning how to really humble yourself to say, I really can't keep doing this anymore on my own. I really need your help. And also I know I am not a burden. I am, I am, I could never be a burden. I think for, especially for women out there, like we are never a burden. Other people want to help us so much, but most people need to be asked for help because a lot of people don't know what to do. And so if those of us who need it are willing to ask for it, then I promise you, you will receive it. I have received so much help. There's no way I could have gotten through there's no way I could have gotten through Poppy's death without the help of my community. And there's no way I could have gotten through this cancer treatment without the help of community. So I just encourage anyone listening to this right now, like if you need help, your community wants to help you. I love that. And I'm actually going to say, let's, let's make that our parting message because Mm. I could talk to you for three hours, but they probably won't listen for three hours. No, they won't. <laughs> so I think it's a good a good point to stop on because I do think it's a good message because we are, as women especially, so busy people-pleasing most of the time that we forget to take time for ourselves or to ask for help. Yes. So good message. Yes. I cannot thank you enough. I think you are so inspiring. I'm now a super fan and I know my audience will be oh. as well and we'll certainly get your book. Um, and we'll put all your links in the show notes and also all send positive vibes. Thank and you. And all those things, whatever anybody believes in. My heart <laughs> is open to receiving. I will, I take, I accept all forms of prayer. I all lit candles, all mantras, all of, all it. of it, send it my way. <laughs> Yes. And you know, and the beautiful thing about that, I have to say is that the more I receive, the more I reflect, Mm. the more I can shine God's love back on everybody else. Like I, I have, I have fully accepted that like the, one of my biggest gifts in this world is reflecting love back to others. And, um, that even just, just saying that out loud makes me feel that little tender emotion of just, it is such a gift to be able to hold space with other people and help them see their own divinity. Cause we're all shining lights. And, you know, I just feel really bright right now. You are really bright and you have a lot of messages still to give. So thank you. I know you are going to be around for a very, very long time. I look forward to our next conversation with your next book. I know. I know. I've got to just harness this energy and and stay focused on what matters, right? Yeah, for sure. And that was a half joke because we'll talk way before that. Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) I know. I'm like, that might be in a couple of years. That's okay. (laughs) But seriously, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you for listening to this episode of Message in the Middle with Marianne. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to share it and write a review as it helps bring new listeners to our audience. If you'd like to keep the conversation going between episodes, please join us 
at Facebook group, Message in the Middle with Marianne.